Uh, my name is Jimmy Fowler. I am the executive pastor, or part-time executive pastor here at Redeemer Fellowship. So I get the joy and honor of bringing God's word to you this morning. If you'll turn with me now, we'll be in Revelation chapter 18. Revelation chapter 18. We're going to focus on verses 1 through 4. That's not to say the rest of the chapter is not important. It's just that the rest of the chapter unpacks verses 1 to 4. So let's just focus on verses 1 to 4, and uh, we can go from there. I'm a guy that once I've found a, a show that I like or a series that I like, I will re-watch it over and over and over again because I, I enjoy it. I mean, I don't want to brag or anything, but I've seen the Office series at least 15 times through. It's not sad. It's impressive. Another show that I've really enjoyed has, uh, uh, was the show 24. And so now I'm kind of going through that again, re-watching the entire series over and over again. And if you don't know anything about 24, you've got uh, a CTU counterterrorism uh, unit uh, uh, agent named Jack Bauer. And so the whole show is about him stopping some sort of terrorist attack, some sort of horrible attack uh, to, that's going to destroy infrastructure or destroy people. And he'll do it by any means necessary. I mean, if he's got to sacrifice an individual, if he has to torture somebody, if he has to lie, if he has to kidnap, whatever he has to do for Jack, the ends justifies the means. And in season seven, where I'm at, it's a whole reflection upon that. Do the ends really justify the means? Is it, does it really matter how we go about things if the results are what we wanted? I mean, there's a podcast going out there, a very popular podcast happening right now called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, where it's really exploring that aspect. It's exploring the, the aspect of, did the ends justify the means? If, if an individual was abusive in their leadership style, if they were domineering, if they were intimidating, but you saw the fruit, does that then not justify the means? by which they gather, or by the which they obtain the result. But in our text this morning, I want us to see that the ends do not justify the means. As a matter of fact, God calls his people out of the world, out of the worldly standards and practices and priorities, into something more. And so as we look at this passage, I want us to see that those who share in the world's ways will share in the world's suffering. Those who share in the world's ways will share in the world's suffering. Let's look here now at verses 1 through 4. It, re it reads, After this I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all the nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her, of her luxurious living. Please pray with me this morning. Father, I ask that your spirit would be here with us as we look at your word. It's not an easy word, Lord. It's been a convicting word for me in, in a different way. 
But Lord, I pray that as we look at this, as we see your word, that your spirit would be at work in our hearts and in our minds. Father, I pray that that we'll be seeing your word and, and looking to your truth for how we are to live, where our heart should be, how our actions should follow, and ultimately that the ends don't justify the means, but that how we go about living in our day-to-day, how we interact with our family, with our colleagues, with our friends, with our neighbors. You have called us to live in a certain way to your glory. We pray this all in your name. Amen. Those who share in the world's ways will share in the world's suffering. So as we're going through this text, we're going to break it down into two sections here. We're going to be looking at the fall of Babylon on the front end. And then on the back end, we're going to be looking at the call of the believer. So the fall of Babylon and the call of the believer. And I'm praying that this text serves as not just a warning to unbelievers, but as a reminder to the church, a reminder to Redeemer Fellowship of what God has called us out of and into. So first, let's look at the fall of Babylon, going through verses 1 through 3. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven. Let's stop there. So oftentimes when you see after the, uh, uh, in, in John here in Revelation, after this I saw, so we have this new vision here. Now, in the previous one we were looking at, Pastor Joe was looking at chapter 17, and it was about uh, uh, Babylon and the prostitute. And oftentimes when people come to Revelation, we talk about Babylon, they try to figure out, well, where's the location of Babylon? He must be talking about a certain spot. Maybe it's Rome. Rome was the epicenter. It was the, tr- it was the, the epicenter of trade and merchants. And it was the, the epicenter of all culture. And they were, they were ruling over others. They were domineering others. They were invading and taking over others and, and having them conform to their certain cultural ideals, as, uh, uh, specifically as it came to the worship of deity and, I- and idols in the midst of trade guilds. And then some take it a, a, a step further and say, well, obviously it's the Americans. It's got to be Washington, D.C. And in the 90s, it looked like the focus of it was the European Union. I mean, they're all coming together as one world power with one currency and one voice. That must be Babylon pushing its way and throwing socialism at us. But as, Joe, as Pastor Joe unpacked for us last week, see, Babylon is, is around us now. It is our culture it is the world around us. It is those that, that adhere to the world's standards and ways and practices and their priorities. You see, as God's people, we are living among the Babylonians. We are living among them. And so we need to figure out then, as God's people, what is it that he's called us to? How, does he, how has he called us to live in the midst of a culture and people that are that, that don't believe in God, oftentimes can hate God, want nothing to do with God, blame God, and oppress and mock those who believe in God. And so it says, after this I saw another angel. And so this angel, though, was coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. Some commentators had, had asked the question, well, is that Jesus? Because this, this, this angel is bright. And yet, though, we, we look and we know that this is an angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory because 
the angel came from the throne room of God. It had been standing before God and God sent this angel with a specific message and purpose, a great message and great purpose to proclaim something, to proclaim his word to the earth. Having great authority, the earth was made bright with his glory. This glory because of he's coming out of the throne room because he was basking in the glory of God. And he called out with a mighty voice, a loud voice that all heard, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. You would think just saying once is enough. Fallen is Babylon the great. And yet we have fallen, fallen. Is that a typo? Did they accidentally, when they were translating it, put it down twice? No, because they uh, marked it twice. They said it twice. They wrote it down twice for emphasis. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. And notice then that it's past tense. It's past tense that it's, it's fallen because it's not a maybe. It's not a, it might happen. But this is, there, it is certain that Babylon will fall. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. It is a for sure thing that will happen. Why do we know that this will happen? Why can we trust in that knowing that Babylon will fall? First, because of the sovereignty of God. God is the creator and ruler of all things. And as creator, he has every right to decree as he wills, to do as he wills. He doesn't need to come ask us for permission. He doesn't need to come seek our advice on what's the best route to go about it. But he, in his sovereignty, is able to do it. And whatever he does, he will do. Secondly, because of the holiness of God. Because God must punish wickedness and put an end to it. A holy God, a just God, will put an end to all injustice. He cannot stand the unholiness of others, the wickedness of man. And so he must punish it and put it to an end. Third, because of the promises of God. I mean, we see throughout Scripture all these promises where, where God says, I will renew all things, as we sang. I will make all things new. You will, you will suffer through this for a while. You will live at, in this way. But ultimately, I will make all things new. I will bring down a new heavens and a new earth, and you, my people, will be with me. I will gather you up together. I mean, just think of just, he started right off in Genesis 3, 15 where it looked like the enemy had won. And God declares and he proclaims, you will bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. Right there is the first gospel proclamation where God says, I will make all things new. Babylon will fall. And fourth, because of the faithfulness of God. What he has declared, he will fulfill because God is not a liar. God does not offer up a promise to us and then pull it back. God does not give us salvation and then, and then take it back from us. What God gives, he gives and he upholds because he is holy and just. He is not fickle like us. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. And it says here about the city of Babylon that it's a dwelling place, a dwelling place of demons. That it's this haunt, and that word haunt is translated, it's like, it's like a prison. It's this, this place where they're, they're, they're there and they, they can't leave. Unclean spirits, bur, uh, unclean birds, unclean beasts. 
And what runs rampant is this sexual immorality. And so as it talks about the city of Babylon and that fallen fallen is Babylon the great, that she has become a dwelling place for demons, it breaks it down into three sections or three categories within Babylon. It talks about the nations, the rulers, and the merchants. And those are the three categories you'll see throughout the rest of chapter 18 as you go back to it to study. That's what's unpacked. But all of it, though, leads to the destruction of Babylon. And that the ends does not justify the means. And that all must trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. So we have the nations, we have the rulers, and we have the merchants. And let's start with the nations there. Verse 3. For all nations have drunk. So every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every person, those who are not of God have drunk and will this, uh, uh, have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. You know, Kistemacher puts it down in two ways when it's talking about that. That when Paul, or not, uh, um, John here is talking about have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, says it means two things. First, those that are deliberately sinning against God. Those who are deliberately sinning against God through their thoughts, actions, deeds, and affections. And then secondly, those who are acting as if God does not exist. So when we look at the world, when we look at Babylon, when we look at the outside, we see this world that is deliberately sinning against God. They have no excuse, Scripture talks about. You look at creation, you can see it testifies to the glory of who God is. It testifies that there is this creator, there is something more. Someone that has created all things and placed us here. And they act as if he doesn't exist. They run rampant in their sin, delighting in their sin. You know, I was watching, I was reading up and, and I praise God for what's going on in Texas with the abortion law. But I see online sin running rampant where people are, are just glorying in their sin. Where they sit there and they, they'll say things like, I, I wish I could have a baby just so I could abort. Or I'll just go across it to some other state just so I can make sure that this happens. Or this is my right, I could go ahead and murder this child. People just reviling in their sin. Overjoyed with it. Mocking God, believing, living as if he does not exist. But then others we see that are still living in their sin, reviling and, and rejoicing in their sin because they rejoice at the downfall of believers. When they see a believer that they might not agree with or they don't get along with, that they're struggling or that something terrible or that they're suffering in their lives, they rejoice in that. Or when churches fall or when pastors fall. And it says here that these nations have drunk. I mean, compare that with Revelation 14.8 that says, another angel, a second, followed saying, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. Very similar, yes? But the difference here is that word drink and drank. Babylon was successful in leading people 
astray. Babylon was successful in leading the nations astray, convincing them that they could go ahead and sin against God because God does not exist. And before we look at, 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 look at Babylon, and we need to understand that Babylon, though, is used by God to God's glory. Jeremiah 51.7, Babylon was a golden cup in the Lord's hand, making all the earth drunken. The nations drank of her wine, therefore the nations went mad. I mean, one of the aspects of, of rejoicing in my salvation is knowing the condemnation and destruction that I was saved from. I can rejoice in my salvation coming out of Babylon because the Lord has pulled me out of Babylon, out of that destruction. God uses Babylon so that God's people understand what they were saved from, to be reminded of where you're supposed to be, who, who you are in Christ, that you are no, no longer a, a citizen of this world, but you are a citizen of the kingdom of God. And then the rulers, those that politicize, prioritize political and economic goals at the expense of others to maintain their power. They idolize having this power. They rule harshly and their unjust gain at the expense of others. Putting laws and rules in place so that others cannot succeed. I mean, Isaiah talks about this quite a bit in Isaiah 3. 14 to 15 reads, if you'll turn with me, Isaiah 3, 14 and 15. The Lord will enter into judgment with the elders and princes of his people. So those rulers, those who are in charge, those who are commended to take care of God's people, to take care of others, and not just those that agree with them, not just the ruling class, but the middle and lower class, the poor among them, the sojourned among them. It is you, it is you who have devoured the vineyard. The spoil of the poor is in your houses. You have taken from the poor. You have taken from others that they needed. You have left them destitute. You have put yourself in a position to overpower them and to take away from them so they have nothing. What do you mean by crushing my people? By grinding the face of the poor. That is the way Babylon rules. That's the way Babylon prioritizes. Is that the ends justify the means that as long as I get another tick on my stock at the expense of whoever doesn't matter to me. And then you've got the merchants and there's nothing wrong with trade. All of us, all of us have to make a living. All of us do. But the issue is greed. The issue is how we go about that. Colossians 3, 5 to 6. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. See, that greed, that covetousness, wanting and desiring more and more because someone else has what I feel like I deserve or that I want. There's nothing wrong with having dreams and aspirations, but when it comes at the expense of others in this dog-eat-dog -dog world, 
It doesn't matter how I go about it like Jack Bauer. As long as I can accomplish my mission, nothing else matters. No one else matters. These are the ways of Babylon and how they trade. And the rich oppress the poor and they gain by unjust means. I have to tell you that as I was studying this passage, God was really working on my heart in this. Because it's easy to read this passage and to point to everybody else. It's easy for me to look at this passage and to say, well, that's the way of Babylon. I'm a believer, right? It's easy to look at this and point to the world and say, well, they deserve the condemnation that they're going to receive because they lived as if God does not exist. They've lived according to their own ways. I'm looking forward to chapter 19, where we as believers receive the, the reward that God is going to bestow upon us. And so I was reading this and going, yeah, well, God is a just God. He's a holy God. And he could, in his sovereignty, he can do what he wants because this is the way of Babylon. And yet I have to sit back and say, there but the grace of God go I. I mean, how often do we go about our day in a living as if the ends justify the means? That as long as I get what I wanted, it's fine. It's justified. That I could go ahead and live according to the same ways the, the world lives. If the world uses these rules and these standards and by these means, why can't I? I mean, Jimmy, Pastor Jimmy, if we don't live the way they do, if we don't fight the way they fight, then we're going to look like fools and have our rights and our freedoms taken away from us. Well, here we have Jesus that laid that all aside, put to death on the cross, with all authority bestowed upon him. And what does scripture talk about? Laying our lives for others. And yet we look and we say to ourselves, we don't realize how often we go back and take Babylon's practices, priorities, and live by them as believers. But those who share in the world's ways will share in the world's suffering. I had a, a previous, at my, at my previous church, uh, a pastor named Leland Botson, and, and it was called Aerosmith Baptist Church, and yeah, we've heard all those jokes, you know, we wouldn't miss a Sunday because we don't want to miss a thing. And he would always talk about the right way to live because God has called us to walk this way, you know. Like, oh, I've heard them all. I got it. It's spelled differently. There's a mountain called Mount Aerosmith. That's why it's Aerosmith Baptist Church. But Pastor Leland would always talk about, as we're studying a passage together, about that there would always be this hinge, is what he would call it. I'm sure it wasn't unique to him, but it stuck with me. I learned it from him, that there's always this hinge that in a passage, as you're studying it, there's something there that everything revolves around it. And I want to submit to you that verse 4 is that in this passage. As we look back at Revelation 18, verse 4, then I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. It seems like a throwaway passage in the midst of this. I mean, John, we're talking about the destruction and fall of Babylon. Let's focus on that. What's that got to do with us? What's that got to do with me? 
Oh, you mean uh, just stay out, you know? Yeah, we're, God's going to pull us out in the midst of, before the destruction happens. No, it's, it serves as a reminder to God's people. It serves as a reminder, come out of her, my people. Why? Lest you take part in her sins. See, just as God called Lot out of Sodom and Gomorrah before destruction, he calls you, believer, to come out of the unjust and sinful ways of our age. That as the world practices and prioritizes prioritizes uh, injustice, as they snub their nose at God in in wickedness and unrighteousness, God has called you out of Babylon. God has called you out of of Babylon to live a different way, to not partake in the practice in the way the world lives and acts. As the world deliberately sins against God, as the world acts like he doesn't exist, we don't live as the world does. We don't sit here, and unfortunately we've watched it happen where politics have invaded the church. Where if if the church doesn't say the right political thing or say the right social justice thing, people will leave a church. People prioritize their politics and their socialness over the church rather than prioritizing the church and the word of God over their politics and their social understanding. Those that live with going for unjust gain, grabbing another nickel at the expense of whoever else is around them. See, we've been called out lest you take part in her sins. And if you're going to take part in her, in her sins, you will then share in her plagues and in her sufferings. You see, we have too many believers that are too many individuals in churches that talk about, I believe in God. Well, James talks about even the demons believed. That where's the fruit that is in keeping with repentance? Where's the spirit of God in our life exemplified in how we walk and how we talk and in our affections and how we treat others? How we, look for, how we look towards a sojourner to take care of them. How we seek after the good of the poor and we seek after the flourishing of others. It's not enough just to say that we believe, but just as Jen was praying that we would be doers of God's word. Not just in mouth, but in deed. By your fruit, you will be seen and you will be known. lest you take part in her sins and then share in her plagues and suffering because friendship with the world is enmity with God. So if we've been called out, we've been called out of Babylon, we have also been called into his ways, his kingdom. And so as we look here, then I'm going to throw some verses at you, write them down and take a look at them. But some of the things that we've been called into, number one, to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. We see that in Matthew 6, 33. We're to prioritize his kingdom and his ways and how he goes about it under his rule and his direction. I mean, God's ways oftentimes are countercultural to the ways Babylon and our world says we should live. Where the world says it's dog eat dog. Scripture says, help those that are oppressed. Help those that are struggling. Come alongside them. Walk with them. Give them your cloak. 
Number two, we're called to preach the gospel. You see that in Mark 16, 15, but also in this passage here in Revelation 18, I want you to jump down to verse 23. So starting at verse 21, you've got this summary to the end of the passage, right? You got this summary of, of Revelation 18, just kind of what's going to happen. And in verse 23, it says this. So it's the Babylon's fallen, the destruction of Babylon, and it goes, and the light of a lamp will shine in you no more. This world that is in darkness, that is blind, that does not know the goodness and grace and, and glory of God would no longer have this lamp, this light among them. It will shine in you no more. Why? The voice of the bridegroom and the bride will be heard in you no more. Brothers and sisters, we have been called to proclaim the gospel to the ends of the earth. Some of us have family. Some of us have children. Some of us have colleagues. Some of us have neighbors who do not know the gospel, that do not know Christ. They don't know the assurance of salvation that's only found in him. And we can't sit back and wait for the judgment of Babylon because once the judgment of Babylon and Babylon falls, the church's witness is over, judgment has come, and those that we have loved and cared for will go to their judgment and suffer the wrath of God. When we talk about the destruction of Babylon, when we talk about his kingdom coming, Christ coming and his return, we're talking then about the judgment of unbelievers. And I don't say that we should not welcome that lightly. I do long for when, the, when Christ returns that, that there is no more sin, there's no more death, there's no more suffering, there's no more injustice. I do long for that. But I caveat that with, I want those that I know, I want every person to know the salvation and hope that's only found in Jesus, the forgiveness that we can only find in him. So I'm torn between these two worlds. I'm torn between these two positions. Come, Lord Jesus, come, but please wait because I need, to, I need to, my brothers to know. I need my family to know. I need my neighbors to know. Jesus, please. We have been called to proclaim this gospel because we don't just sit back living within Babylon, awaiting its destruction, holding a lifesaver and never throwing it out. 1 Corinthians 7, 17. Third, we are called to live as a child of God in every situation. That's hard. That's hard, every situation. That means your church life and your home life and your work life all match up according to the word of God. That you live as a child of God in every situation. There is no aspect of life that is that is free from the standards of Scripture and God's Word. Number four, Ephesians 4, 2, we, we're called to bear one another in love, not just those that we agree with or that we like or that we get along with, but everybody, everyone, whether within Redeemer or brothers and sisters that are part of other denominations, we are to bear with one another in love. Philippians 2, 1 to 4, we're called to value others. Scripture also talks about outdoing one another in showing honor. 2 Timothy 1, we're called to be holy. And Jesus even said, be holy as your heavenly Father. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. 1 Peter 9 and 10, we're called to this royal priesthood set apart 
to do the work of God here in Babylon. And 1 Peter 4.10, we're called to serve others. And whatever gift that God has given us, that we will utilize it and use it to the glory of God for the people of God. Those who share in the world's ways will share in the world's sufferings. See, it's, when we look at Babylon, Babylon has no hope because they've trusted in the world's ways, practices, priorities. And I've got lots, of, there's lots of other verses that what we've been called into, but what I know we've been called out of has been Babylon and Babylon's ways, practices, purposes, and priorities. And we're called to, to live in God's ways. And that means that how do we know that or how do we find that? Well, we study God's word. We prioritize our devotional time, studying scripture on our own, praying through scripture, seeking and asking the spirit, please show me, please, please show me in my heart where I've, been gone, where I've gone astray. Point out your ways. Show me how I'm supposed to live that I may grow in grace and mercy and love. That means we don't neglect the gathering of God's people where we have the word of God proclaimed to the people of God and we share in that as we, pro, as we proclaim his mercies and goodness and we give praise to our God. And then in fellowship, as we gather together individually as, as, as brothers and sisters in Christ and in community groups or in discipleship groups. That's why we really plug those. Because we're not an island among ourselves and I know and I'm, I'm guilty of being arrogant myself thinking that I can just go ahead and power through but I must tell you that in the darkest moments of my life and the deepest pits of despair that I have been in, I have rejoiced in what God has done in my life through other brothers and sisters that have come alongside, that have prayed for me and prayed with me when I couldn't utter a word. God's word, when we worship God together and God's people, Brothers and sisters, I don't, I don't rejoice at the fall of Babylon. But I do, I do rejoice in, in what the Lord has called us into. And I pray that with what time we have left, that we as God's people would be a lamp in a dark world, a light in a dark world, that we may proclaim God's goodness, his mercy, his salvation, and that his hope is only found in Jesus Christ, his son. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for, for what you've not only called us out of, but what you've called us into. Father, I pray that, that, that you continue to work on my heart and my stubbornness, Lord, and, and our hearts and our stubbornness. For when we feel like the end justifies the means that we can go about living any way that we want because it doesn't matter. Well, Lord, it does. You have called us to something more. And I pray, Father, with, with the time that we have that we proclaim your glory, that you continue to be working on us, that we'll be changing from one degree, we'll be sanctifying, and that we'll be changed from one degree of glory to the next till ultimately, Father, we get to bask and sit in your glory and in your presence. 
We pray this all in your name. Amen.